Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. several things to point out he doesn't he doesn't have um he does have a clear philosophy on women but he never wrote a treatise on women you're finding some of the church fathers um well in the church fathers you, you won't find a treatise on women but you'll find them um, uh, addressing the question of women but it tends to be rather pastoral or pastoral how do you say that yeah. and um it's, it's about, you know, how a woman should act or how a man should act towards a woman. Not really a philosophical approach. And St. Thomas, of course, uh, he's not really so pastoral in that way. He's more interested in uh, reality. And so he puts something before him and he tries to sort of look at it and explain it. And this is really what he tries to do with women. Not in a treatise, but it, he definitely has a clear line which follows through in the different places where, of his writings. When it comes to a woman, it's a very clear line. It's not musings. It's like, this is how it is. And um, it's, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to be honest with you. There's some good elements to it, and there's some which aren't so good. Uh, that's just a sort of government health warning up front. And um, uh, we'll see that. Now, uh, his main um, source, you might say, uh, for thought on women, I think, would definitely be Aristotle. Aristotle is like the Einstein of today. Yeah? So if Aristotle, Aristotle says something about something in the Middle Ages, you listen. Yeah? In the same way as, I don't know, if, I mean, he's even more important in a sense than Einstein. Because Einstein, you know, if Einstein says something about biology, you might not listen. Yeah? But if he says something about physics, you listen. Aristotle across the board, yeah, in any science. If he said it, you listen. And St. Thomas um, seems to take that as a key, a key starting point. He does also take scripture, but you, have, you get a sense that um, scripture just confirms what he might think he sees in Aristotle's approach to women. And what is somewhat interesting but hard to fathom is whether he had any empirical experience of women. It's not evident in my mind, that he had a lot of empirical experience about women. Certainly not about women in the academic realm. Uh, so he didn't have that, that advantage or vantage point that we might have to, you know, if I have and I experience women uh, in, in an academic environment, I have a certain perception about women that's built on the basis of that. I guess he doesn't have that at all because it's just not what was going on in his day. So I would say he lacks a, a certain empirical uh, basis, and therefore he's he's highly influenced by Aristotle for the good and for the bad. Let's start with the good. Um, the good news is, well, he takes Tom, he takes Aristotle's hylomorphic theory as a, as a as a basic way of viewing reality, <coughs> and this is the theory that all material substances, not angels, but material substances, are made up of a material and formal principle which are united to each other. In the human being, it's the soul as united to the body. Soul is the formal principle, body is the material principle. In composition, one with the other, which constitutes a human uh, being, human person. And the soul gives the species. And for St. Thomas, because the soul is neither feminine or masculine, 
It's simply the form that makes a human being be a human being. There's a fundamental equality in his understanding of men and women. All the difference that he will see between men and women, as we'll see, is going to be uh, coming from the side of the body, not the side of the soul. Um, so this is an important point. For him, I would, I would express it this way. He doesn't think that the soul is male or female. He thinks that the soul is feminized or masculinized by the union with the body. This is a rather important point to, to see, that for him, while the soul is the senior partner in the soul-body sort of composite, when the soul informs a body, the body has some kind of effect upon the soul. For example, uh, he doesn't develop this in any detail in, in the sexuality, uh, uh, when he's considering sexuality, but he does develop it in other places. He, for example, will say, why is it that people have certain temperaments? Why is it that we have trace, uh, traits which are common to races? Why are Latins, you know, hot-blooded and Nordics cold-blooded? Doesn't sound right, but anyway, um, you know what I mean. There is sort of traits that go through cultures. And for him, it can't be on the side of the soul, because the soul is fundamentally what unites all of us to be the same reality, that we're all human. Therefore, the difference is on side of the body. But the body can have a certain effect upon the soul, such that the body and the soul are sort of co-molded to each other, if I can put it that way. To such a degree that I think um, uh, St. Thomas would freak out if he um, was forced to watch Freaky Friday. <laughs> Has anyone seen the movie Freaky Friday? What happens in Freaky Friday? The uh, mum and the daughter swap bodies for the weekend. Yeah? This, this is um, totally uh, out of order for St. Thomas because the body is molded to the particular soul it informs, like a glove is molded to a hand. And so therefore, the body doesn't fit another soul. Well, if that's the case, it's the case because the body has some kind of molding influence on the soul that makes it the soul only of that body. That being the case, when a human soul is received into a body which is fundamentally female, and that's obviously coming from the, from the parents, the parents are giving a material substrate which is fundamentally female or fundamentally male, that will have a repercussion on the soul. So the soul received into a feminine body will be feminized by the reception, and a soul received into a masculine body will be masculinized by the reception. Now this, this is helpful, this is pretty helpful because it allows us to do two things. One, to maintain the fundamental equality between men and women, but also to understand why a male body or female body will have some soul-related um, elements to it, will have some, how to put it, some effect upon the soul, why the body will feminize the soul. I mean, this is a little bit what I was trying to point out in my, my main talk uh, yesterday. The, the idea of the genius of woman is this, that there is a physical capacity for persons in the woman. She has a womb, she has a space for persons. And this has a psychological, spiritual reverberation 
So the woman's uh, personality is determined by that as well. Well, that fits perfectly with, with St. Thomas's understanding of the hylomorphic theory, because when the soul, which is fundamentally human, not male or female, is received into a feminine body, that reception will have some, you might say, backlash, positive backlash on the soul and will feminize the soul without making it the soul of a different species. So men and women can say that stay the same species, but they can be, as it were, fundamentally feminized or fundamentally masculinized by the fact that the soul is infused into a masculine body or infused into a feminine body. So that way, I think St. Thomas's position is, is rather helpful. It, it actually supports it at quite a, you might say, a philosophical, anthropological level what we're trying to say when we talk about something like the genius of women. Anyway, that means that fundamentally we are equal men and women because we have the same form. We're not different species. It also means that we are equally made in the image and likeness of God. St. Thomas, when he deals with the question of being made in the image and likeness of God, he makes absolutely no distinction between men and women. And for him, the image and likeness of God is on three levels. There is simply the fact that you have the power to know and love because you have a rational soul. There is that you do know and love God in this life and that you will perfectly know and love God in the life to come. And on all three levels, there's absolutely no distinction between men and women. Finally, we all share the same, men and women share the same fundamental goal. And for St. Thomas, the goal is what determines most fundamentally the perfection of something. When something attains its goal, it is perfect. When the apple tree blossoms and then fruits, the apple tree has attained its perfection, that's its terminus. You judge a good or bad apple tree, a perfect or imperfect apple tree, on its ability to fruit. Yeah? So the goal and achieving the goal determines how perfect something is. Given that men and women have exactly the same goal, again, for St. Thomas, men and women must be fundamentally of equal perfection at the most fundamental level. So the good news is, following Aristotle, following the hylomorphic theory, it leads to St. Thomas to conclude, on the basis of all having the same form, all being made equally in the image and likes of God, and all having the same final purpose, there is a fundamental equality and equal perfection between male and female. Good news. The less good news is this. He also follows Aristotle on his understanding of human generation. And this is where things go awry. The issue is this. Uh, the female ovum was only discovered in the 17th century by the same guy who discovered that blood circulated. George Harvey, I think his name was. He was an English scientist. Um, it seems to me amazing that it took until the 16th century to work out that blood circulated. I would thought anyone who'd cut the head off a chicken, which m people must have done regularly in those days, would have realized that blood circulated, but apparently not. And this guy all discovered the, the female ovum. Apart, before that, it wasn't understood quite how it worked. And Aristotle, and St. Thomas following him, he thought, well, uh, look at the marital act itself. It's passive on the side of the woman, and it's active on the side of the man. 
And this is when, he said, he was thinking in this action, it's when very explicitly the woman acts as a woman and the man acts as a man. In all other activities, it's not so clear that somebody is acting as a man or as a woman. There may be certain activities that men tend to do and certain activities that women tend to do, tend to do but in that activity, they act as woman specifically and as man specifically. And given that the woman seemed passive from an exterior perspective and the man seemed active, they came to the conclusion that the male was the active party in generation. So this is basically what he thought happened. The male seed acted upon blood, excess blood in the woman. And that excess blood was built up into a body by the seed until it was of, of a sufficient uh, formation to receive a rational soul. And then, hey presto, you've got a human baby. Yeah. Going from that, now, I mean, it, we can laugh at it, but actually, if you've only got the exterior to work on, and you see that the woman expels blood every month, and that she's passive in the marital act compared to the, to the husband, it's, it's not a kind of such a stupid thing to come up with. Yeah? It's not totally implausible that you'd view it that way. But it led to this problem. It led to the problem that all the action or activity in generation seemed to be on the side of the male, and the female generation was, was more or less a passive offering of matter. This meant that it sounded like something like this. The male seed being the active principle would always try to generate another male because causes always produce similar effects. It's another sound principle. It's just it's going further and further away from what we know to be the case. Yeah? If you put a candle under water, it makes the water hot, not cold. Yeah? Because all effects try and produce their like. Uh, sorry, all causes try and produce their like in the effect. So if you think the generation is purely from the male side, you're also going to conclude that the male seed would automatically seek to produce a male. Why then do we get females? Aristotle's position was because sometimes the south wind blows or something like that. Meaning something, something interferes with the process so that it doesn't produce precisely what it was going to produce. Yeah. Now, he only gave that as a suggestion. Thomas gives that as a suggestion. I, I am no, I'm not totally sure what that's about, the south wind, other than it seems to me it could be something to do with the fact that the south wind is moist and it cools things down, and that he thought that generation required, required heat. Again, it's not a stupid thing, because he noticed that in hot weather, maggots came out of dead animals. It seemed that heat was needed for generating life. The sun is needed for generating life. Yeah? So in cooler situations, the male seed wouldn't be able to carry forth its full project. It would be thwarted to some degree, and therefore would never produce the male, but would produce the female. And on the basis of this, the female, according to Aristotle, was an occasional male. It was a male that occasion had interfered with, such to only produce a female. Yeah? Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. Um, now, of course, that has some pretty negative effects on her. <laughs> Because um, 
at least it gives the impression that um, in a way you might say that a, that a, a female is a kind of defective male or a, a half cooked male, half baked male. Put it that way. Yeah, that sounds good in English. Half baked male. Yeah. Um, now. Uh, St. Thomas slightly rescues the situation, but only slightly, by pointing out that this impeding, the fact that the, the, the male seed was impeded in 50% of the cases, while it was against the intention of the male seed, and to that degree a girl was an, unint an unatten unintended effect, the fact that there would be an impediment the fact that the south wind would blow 50% of the time or whatever it was that impeded was intended by God. So God intended that the male seed would be thwarted in 50% of the time. Okay, so it slightly rescues the situation from calamity because now we can argue that though the female is not intended according to the proximate cause, it is intended according to the ultimate cause, namely God. So in that degree, he can sort of certainly tweak Aristotle and say, it would be wrong to say that female children are unintended. They are not unintended at all by God. They are only unintended by the proximate cause, namely the male semen. Yeah? However, it's not all good news because... The problem now is that because the male seed would normally want to produce a male, that means that it's going to do something like this. It's going to unlock the potency in the female blood to produce a male body. And it only half unlocks it, and therefore you get a female. If the male seed fully unlocks the potency in the male blood, in the female blood, you get a male. That implies that there's more actuality, more perfection in the male body than there is in the female body. So while he can rescue the situation in regards to what's intended or not intended and clearly argue that female children are intended, he still has the situation, if he's going to inherit Aristotle, and he does, that the female body is somehow less perfect actualization than the male body. And that, for him, then, has serious consequences uh, in another realm, in the realm of intelligence. Because while the intellect is essentially something proper to the soul, and not proper to the body. In this life, he understands that the intellect needs to use the body in order to do thinking. And he understands that one person is more intelligent than another person, not because they have a better soul, but because their body is better set up to be a tool used by the intellect for thinking. He thinks that across the board. Yeah, so why one man would be more intelligent than another man is not because one man has a different type of soul from another man. He's not going to think that because otherwise he makes them two different species. They both have the same soul with the both, both the same type of intellect, but one's body is better set up as a tool for the intellect to use in the thinking process. 
Um, and actually, there's, that's not really wrong, it seems. In fact, it seems to me the whole Montessori school process uh, agrees with that. Well, maybe Montessori's wrong, I don't know. But um, Montessori schooling, if I understand it correctly, uh, majors at developing sense perception. And that's basically a training of bodily sensitivity, not because the body is the ultimate thinking power in man, but because the intellect has to use the body in thinking. And so making something, somebody more sensitive could actually cash out at making them more intellectually penetrating. So again, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Keep what is true steer a course. We're going to have to steer, obviously, a careful course at the end. Don't worry. I'll make it all good. Um, okay, but that is why he then thinks, normally speaking, he thinks the man is wiser than the woman. Comes down absolutely to the question of her body being inferior because of how he understands human generation. Uh, even to the degree that we get some really fun things going on, like in his... Um, well, you might think it's fun, ladies, but it made me laugh when I read it. Um, in, uh, in his commentary on the Gospel of St. John, uh, when he's talking to the, the, the woman at the well, St. Well, you weren't listening. You weren't listening. St. Fotony, according to the Orthodox tradition. Um, you know, he says to her, he says to her, um, go and get your husband. He says so, doesn't he? Go and get your husband and bring him back. Um, he sent, uh, Aquinas interprets that to mean because the male thinking process is superior to the woman's pre thinking process, he doesn't mean go and get your physical husband. He means put your brain in gear, dear. Because <laughs> what I'm about to tell you is pretty hard to understand. Yeah, go and fetch your higher thinking power. Okay, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Uh, we we'll probably laugh for different reasons, though, when that was... Um, okay. Okay. Um, so, oh, time goes quickly. But what, what should we say about that? We, sh we should say this. Okay. It's always important, it seems to me, in theology. And when you read somebody who really is a master, even when you know they're wrong in conclusion, don't throw everything out, you know? Seek what is good and keep that and throw out what is, what is not good. And it seems to me that Aquinas is very well served by Aristotle in one respect, his metaphysics, and very poorly served by Aristotle in another respect, namely his physics. Because we should keep, it seems to me, Aristotle's metaphysical principle of the hylomorphic theory, namely that we are body-soul composites, because that determines at one level our fundamental equality, on those three fundamental levels, image of God, sorry, equally human, image of God, same final purpose in life, and it allows us to articulate this idea of the genius of woman, the genius of man, meaning the body has a reverberation into the psychic and spiritual dimension of a person. That's based on accepting Aristotle's metaphysical principles. But I think we obviously are going to put aside Aristotle's physics, namely his understanding of human generation, and everything which is negative, it seems to me, in St. Thomas's understanding of women flows directly back to this question of generation. 
that the man is the active component and the woman is totally passive spawns all these other elements which we now understand to be incorrect. So I think we can keep his metaphysics and put aside his physics. So it really is the good and the bad. Final point, let's just note, this is the joy of living in the Catholic Church, that even somebody of the stature of St. Thomas is not accepted by the Church in everything he says. The Church has never accepted his understanding of human generation and therefore all the consequences which flow from it. But it has accepted some of his principles of metaphysics. Yeah, there's clear statements, for example, in the Council of Vienne that the soul is the per se form of the body. This is precisely what St. Thomas taught, precisely what Aristotle taught. And so when you live in the Catholic Church, you kind of live with a safety net under the tightrope. Yeah? You can't fall off to your peril. And praise be God that we're Catholics. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.